Hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Drama Llama, where we look beyond the galleries and dish on the art world's gossip, rivalries, and eccentricities. My name is Vartika. My name's Sianja. And my name is Nancy. And today, we are going to look beyond the Dali and Disney animation collaboration. Part two. Yes, ma'am. All right. So, hi, everybody, and especially our art drama llamas, and welcome to part two of the Dali Disney project collab that was Destino. But before I start, I want to make a quick correction from last week's episode, or the previous episode. So the article I mentioned, uh, uh, Ron Bar Barbagallo, the Destino animatic and the fate of assembling Artistic Truths into a Greater Whole by Amy Rattel was only posted by her, not written by her, because it was written by Ron Barbagallo. So, sorry guys, I'm illiterate. Just, I don't know, I just wanted to like put that correction out there before somebody like did it for me like super later, since we're gonna like gonna blow up. <laughs> it's okay, it happens, it happens. Yes, because like, the article are... is written in like first person and I'm all like did this woman really do all this but like this guy was the one that found it or like not found it but like was the 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 missing artwork was like brought to him and then I like I reread the title again I was like I am an idiot it's okay <laughs> I mean even large newspapers have to make corrections so we're good you're right. Audience members, I think we're good. Okay, all right. They're merciful. <laughs> so to recap, Dali and Disney were fans of each other. Disney of Dali because duh, and Dali of Disney because at this point in time, one of the attitudes towards animation was that it was a medium that was and could be used to create surrealist work. Then, supposedly, the two officially met at a dinner party of Jack Warner's, where Disney asked Dali to do an animation with him, to which Dali said yes, because, one, he loved the cinema, he greatly admired animation, and because he was still a little miffed about one of his animation projects being cut into two minutes for the IGM movie Spellbound, and kind of wanted to, like, avenge that work that he did for, I for MGM. Did I say IGM earlier? It's MGM. Okay, so they're at this dinner party, they talk, they make it official uh, by making it a big deal to the public. Everyone gets excited, and then when they finally start working on it, they realize that they had very different things in mind on how this animation was going to be detail-wise, length-wise, and budget-wise. While on the sidelines, our man, John Hench, is doing the really heavy lifting and the go-betweening. So eventually, they have an art friend collaboration breakup uh, with 135 storyboards, drawings and sketches and 22 paintings and only 20 seconds animation to show for this Disney Dali collaboration. Then apparently they just never announced the art friend collaboration breakup to the public. So everyone was confused as to what happened to that collab and then just kind of like eventually moved on with their lives. I okay. think that makes a lot of sense. Sorry to 
interrupt, but like just like, I mean, sometimes you just if it doesn't happen, you just kind of don't mention it and the public will forget, you know. Okay, well you like I, I thought a- you meant like in general. I was like, I don't know. If somebody made a big deal about something, I'd be like, What happened to that? Yeah, no, I think for like for like public people for public figures, I think this is actually sometimes the right approach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because like I mean the audit like the public's attention span is like what three days? Deny, deny, deny. Yeah. Okay. So you just like don't talk about anything for don't talk about it for like three days and then people will just forget. If SNL was a thing back then, do you think they would have made a skit about this? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's like that big of a deal. I mean, if it, if they can't find any further information, I think there's just not enough content, right? Like, what are you, you know, like? In my mind, people back then were like starved of content, so. <laughs> no, Somewhere... you have plenty of content as well. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because I think about it, I'm like, what the hell would I have done in my free time back then? I mean, read, obviously, but yeah. would I be more, more of a productive person because I didn't have like social media? Or like the internet yeah i guess it had it would be just tv right yeah i was gonna say um i was reading about or sometimes when i go down the wikipedia rabbit hole i end up reading about like um old hollywood actors and stuff a lot of them were just out there like drinking smoking doing drugs and they were you know, doing the same thing the same doing, thing doing yeah. things with other people if you know what yeah. i mean I feel like they were more wild back then than now. I oh, think yeah, we don't sure. hear about the stuff that's happening now. That too. Well, but I mean, that, but also like, I think things just got more illegal, right? Because I'm thinking about, oh, they used to get into crazy car accidents because they just, you know, like drove insanely, right? Yes. Yeah. But I, and, and now they don't, or like it's much fewer, right? Like much fewer instances of them driving crazily down the road but i'm sure they're like taking some hardcore drugs and it just doesn't get reported because it's like pretty illegal for sure um when you read those books or like watch those shows like i've only seen a little bit of gossip girl but like when you think of those types of things and then also um there was this modern version of anna karenina that i read over i think it was winter break um and it was all these rich kids like doing hardcore drugs and partying and stuff I mean it was based off of like the classic book but like set with teens so it's insane (laughs) I don't know you never I don't know maybe we're just so like sheltered in a way that we just I feel people who engage in a lot of that are literally bored Oh yeah, for sure. Like they have they have too much free time on their hands. So now that I've done that recap, we have arrived to the main story of this week's episode, which is what happened to this project between the time of the art friend co- collab breakup and the time Roy E. Disney, Walt Disney's nephew, uh, wanting to finish this project in 1999. And then releasing the finished product in like 2003. So obviously one would assume that it was shelved and stored in the archives, right? Well, apparently 
72 pieces of artwork were not counted into the 135 storyboards, drawings, sketches, and 22 paintings, and only 20 seconds animation into the archives. Because they were on display at the Disney campus cafeteria. So because they were all there, they didn't, they forgot to count all of those in to the uh, stuff that was for the project. Okay, y'all, I'll go into more detail later. Okay. okay. But basically they, I, I like, they took all the artwork and put it in like the archives. Mm -hmm. But. Except for. The like, 72 pieces, yeah. they had them on display in like the cafeteria. I mean, it's kind of crazy that they have something on display, but collectively, the organization has forgotten what it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I forgot what it is. Um, so a side note, which this is, is going to go on into the archives quite a bit. According to the Dali and Disney uh, documentary, Dali and Disney, a date with Destino uh, about this like whole project and collaboration that's on YouTube. Uh, the Disney staff described the archives where they put the artwork for unfinished project as the morgue. And that it's in that it was under the basement of like the animation building. And another interviewee from that documentary even says that the morgue had leaky water pipes, big signs saying, beware of the spiders, floors that were sometimes covered with rain, and overall, not a very wholesome place to store artwork. And they also like say, like in, in the documentary, like keep in mind that this room was covered from floor to ceiling with artwork. And it's under these like horrible conditions. So I don't know, I just wanted to like share this little tidbit because I felt like it showed the attitude of kind of moving on and like being like meh about the whole thing from like the studio uh, for this like specific project once it was determined to be shelved. But also I feel like it goes to show how even when you are a big name artist, um, you, you don't really like desperately need money and have like influence, your artwork can still be treated with like little care. Yeah, I mean, this kind of reminds me of how all those museums have a crap ton of work from a lot of artists mm -hmm. that they are just put in storage. I mean, it's not treated as terribly as, you know, like spiders and rainwater everywhere, but, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it's like shelved somewhere as well and it never sees the day, mm -hmm. the daylight, the light of day. Um, so I think that it's, it's very similar, right? But it's also to like from the studio's perspective, I kind of get it. Like, what are you going to do with all of this work? Like you can't possibly display all of it. I'm sure, I think they can take care of it a lot better, but like, yeah, I think a lot of stuff does get stored no matter what kind of artist you are just because, or how famous you are because like, there's just too much, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the, yeah, I mean, there's just, you could produce way too much work and you know, you can't show all of it, right? We can't appreciate all of it. Well, from my project management class that I took, uh, the idea is that um, these things are shelved in case like another studio likes the idea, then they can sell it to you. 
like oh, oh okay like here's here's the artwork for it yeah um but also but also it's like oh well maybe we want to revisit it maybe like right now right. just wasn't the time for it let's save all this art let's save all this work that way if we decide to go back to it we have something to like jump off of yeah but now all of this work is probably ruined so it's hard to go back to yeah 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 I see that's that's what I was gonna say like yes I understand like why they archive it but I don't think it justifies the horrible conditions especially um like as an artist when you work for a big studio you kind of sign away your creative liberty yeah so I think it's very much like a slap to the face of not only are you archiving this like project that I most likely spent like a big chunk of time in like maybe months, maybe years, not only are you archiving it, you're not even like giving it like the proper respect. Yeah, that's so and then, true. Yeah, and the thing is like these artists, like you don't know, maybe this artist just like worked on this project or maybe this was like some artist's vision that got greenlit and then mm-hmm. eventually got canceled. And it's all like these studios make you sign away your creative freedom. So you can't even like get that back and be like, give it back to me. I'm going to do it on my own, like in my free time. I mean, the whole setup of like the beware spiders, rainwater Mm -hmm. coating the ground. It sounds like a classic Disney villain layer. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I can see them actually designing this as a set piece for one of their animations. Okay, okay. But yeah, and then when I saw that, I was like, oh, why aren't I like rich? So I can just go into those archives and be like, give it to me all. Yeah. Because I bet there are like some really good stories there. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was just not like the studio mm-hmm. didn't think it was the appropriate time for it. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, things get canceled for many reasons and whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always like, stop, stop being greedy. Like, give it out to people. Let other studios work on it then. Damn yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so that's my dream. To, like, go into all these studios and be like, what's y'all's rejected projects? Because I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. I, I know, like, for scripts, there's, like, development hell. And, mm-hmm. like, a lot of movies have gone made after the script has been in development hell for a super long time. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of surprised there's not... And that seems like a pretty solid system. So I'm surprised the animation studios don't have something more formal. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, anyways, after uh, what I'm assuming was a long time passing because the article by Jonathan Winslow described these storyboards being on display regularly a cafeteria worker was told to say some of the boards on display and then toss the rest because the display needed to be changed. And keep in mind that this is happening sometime in the 50s, so not not that long after the project was abandoned. Yet a sound artist working for a different company that was renting space from the Disney studio uh, overheard this and asked if he could keep the boards that were going to be thrown away. And then after this sound artist passed away, his partner discovered the boards while cleaning, uh, while cleaning like the house that was willed to him by the deceased sound artist and almost threw them out too. So clearly the universe was out to get these pieces of work since Dali stormed off from the Disney studio a lot. 
but a friend of the family figured out that the boards were made by Dali and then started looking more into their value. Uh, which is how this like large package with copies of the 72 story sketches and boards ended up in the doorstep of Ram uh, Barbagallo, a classic uh, who is a classic uh, animation art conservatist who once worked as Roy Disney's personal art conservator. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had estimated that the artwork is worth five million, and it takes and and like that makes a lot of sense to me because somewhere uh, I read that Dali was apparently known to draw on the receipts of his restaurant restaurant bill as payment to the restaurant, and the restaurant would just like accept it because the receipt was now worth a lot more than what he like was charged with for his food because now it was a work of art. Uh, but again, this is like apparently something he did, right? So even if it's not true, I just found, uh, I just, I just found this interesting. And also, uh, like it makes sense why in general it would be worth so much because it was made by Dali. Yeah. And it's like a exclusive, like collab, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, uh, like I'm trying to think of a clothing brand. Like if Supreme did something with Apple, you know, and it just like those are so random. Those are the two yeah, random. Yeah, but isn't Disney and Dolly also really random? I guess, but they're like under the same vein of like art. I mean, if Supreme decided to make like Supreme, computers, yeah. So, no, I was gonna say like Supreme branded earpieces, like okay. headphones. You know, all right. I'm sure people would go crazy. All right, all right. Fair point. Apple came out with the clothing line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Apple came Dude. out with the clothing line. Well, they have those like bands for like the Apple Watch, so maybe Supreme can do something with that. Oh yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, because it's like an accessory. Mm -hmm. All right. As far as I know, uh, the Disney Studio has not commented on these art pieces being rediscovered. But also, apparently, in the 1970s, when an art dealer approached Dali to validate work uh, from a completely separate batch of batch of like art from the same Destino project, the Disney uh, company threatened to sue, claiming it was stolen property and got the work back. Wait, so how did this art dealer get pieces? I don't know. I don't know. And I like looked, I like. I try to find it and everything, and I really don't know. Maybe Dolly but... took some with him and just, like, <laughs> use it as payment at well, restaurants. Okay. Well, okay, let's think about it. Already they're not being, like, archived very respectfully, sure. very carefully. Yeah. Some of it is being put on display in, like, the same studio. So maybe, who, so who really knows what they did with the rest of the artwork? Maybe, like, other That's people true. on the project like working on it we're like yo can I take a little souvenir they're like yeah sure mm -hmm. so so maybe there's more like Dali artwork out there yeah somewhere I'm sure there I'm sure there is like I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm surprised there hasn't been a museum that has collected all the Dali receipts I feel like that is an exhibit on its own mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe it's like the price heirlooms and like the hidden art dealer circle. Mm, that's, I can see that. 
I mean, yeah, like who knows where those receipts are now, so. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm like, well, I don't know how receipt paper was made back then, but right now it's super thin. So maybe with time, it just like disintegrated or something. Yeah. Even more rare. Less supply, more demand. Oh, big brain manchie. <laughs> okay. So now this rediscovery also puts something else in perspective other than Disney and Delhi not being able to 100% see eye to eye. This other perspective being that it now gave Dali's full vision of the project and shows how it deviates from the 2003 final version of Destino. For one, the biggest difference that everyone seems to mention is that Dali's artwork, uh, with, that, with this like artwork, the story is told through the man's perspective rather than the woman's, like in the 2003 short. Uh, it also had more of a sexually themed narrative, which was, obviously not going to fly over with Disney. Uh, also, Dali very much saw this project as a way to elevate his paintings and saw this project as a moving painting and not an animated short. So he designed stuff for this with the intent of it being visually active and complicated, which is very clearly shown by the way the found work does not have centralized staging areas for the animators to focus on. Uh, how everything in every frame was meant to be animated and animated at different percentages of visibility. So I think I mentioned this last episode, but if not, I'm gonna say it right here. I think uh, Dali would have been a big fan of GIFs. Cause it has Wait. that animation element, but it's like, you're just looking at one thing, you know? Is that what you mean with no centralized staging areas and how every frame was supposed to be animated okay and like you kind of need to back up and describe that a little bit more for us um, non-artists non how can i describe this um okay so when you make an a lot of i don't even know if i'm explaining this right because i was a wannabe animation kid i never really got into the program so I could be just like saying shit out of my ass that I think is right. But I think I'm right. Like, I, because I do it, I draw it this way and I see other people explain it this way. But anyway, so when you make like an animation, a lot of people make a storyboard beforehand, right? Which is essentially like a script that actors would follow. So a storyboard is the script an animator would follow. So the storyboard is made up of like blocks. And those blocks basically have like key frames. And those key frames uh, show like specific moments in the animation that the animator needs to make. And then um, like tie in the rest of the motion once they start animating. So let's say I wanna make an animation of me throwing a ball. I would make a storyboard about it. And then first block is gonna be like me holding the ball. Second block, me like pushing my hand back, like getting that momentum. Third block would be like me like moving forward to throw it. Fourth block would be me like releasing it. Fifth block, the, the ball like flying, right? Yet in all those like, uh, blocks which are actually called frames 
So in all those frames, I'm focusing on something. So first frame, let's say it's like me at like a bird's eye view, right? And then second frame is me like profile. Uh, third frame is just a close-up of like my hand, like releasing or whatever motion I said what I was doing. So basically, uh, when you make a storyboard, you just uh, like give perspective and you give um, like action shots versus what Dali was doing was like, um, kind of like an I spy like image where he was just having a bunch of shit going on all over the place. Oh, I see. So yeah. it is like what you said there, each frame was essentially a mini GIF, like he wanted mm -hmm. it to be a mini GIF. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause the thing is that like with an animation, you're kind of telling a story and with a GIF, you can tell a story, but you could also just have it there for like the visual elements of it. So I don't really understand because I think you could storyboard a GIF right? Like any video can be storyboarded. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, like, I don't know why, like, I'm having a hard time understanding why Dolly wouldn't follow this process, because you can't make a video. Because essentially, I feel like every one of his frames, if I'm understanding this correctly, mm -hmm. every one of his frames can be further broken down into, key, into like, the key. So so you don't understand why he couldn't like have a very concise, for example, like storyboard. Well, yeah, like if he has so much motion in each frame, I feel like he can then break it down further to like, mm -hmm. right? Like, well, look at his paintings. Um, he just kind of like throws things at you, right? It's like he has a bunch, a lot going on. Yeah. And he does it all in one frame. So in his, from what I understood, like reading about this, in his mind, he was thinking of all of this happening in one frame. And in animation, you think about what happens in each individual frame. Like you move forward. You, right. You're not just looking like directly at something. You know what I mean? Yes, I understand. Okay. I just don't understand how he couldn't change his mentality about it. Well, because he was like, a, he was like a painter. He was a fine artist. So he was trained to think of like things happening in one like frame per se. Yeah. But I mean, but like technically. I, I'm not him, Manchi. I don't yeah, know. I know. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we won't. We won't let's, let's make a summoning circle and be like, Dali, homie. <laughs> what was you thinking like why why couldn't you just like let the animators do their thing yeah I mean I feel like the animators could have taken each of his paintings and then broken them down into further frames I really feel like that's what John Hinch was doing yeah I, I, I mean, really yeah. feel the only reason why even Destino happened in 2003 was because of him yeah absolutely yeah if he wasn't alive I, I don't think the project would have gotten made successful I I also think if he wasn't working for Disney at the time, I feel like this would have fallen through a lot sooner. Yeah. We're, we're in consensus. Yeah. 
But also, uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, uh, Dali's main guy that he would collaborate with. Let me find his name real quick. Uh, Luis Buñuel. He never really challenged Dali from what I understood, like reading about this. He never really went like, yo, Dali, this is too abstract. Or like, hey, Dali, this technique you're trying to use? Nah, man, like, whack. So I feel like he wasn't, he was never put in a position where he had to change his way of thinking. Yeah, somebody would just do it for him. Yeah, or would work around that or would Mm -hmm. do what he wanted. The world adapted to Dolly. Dolly did not adapt to the world. I guess so, yeah. I feel like you need like closure for this. (laughs) (laughs) So I I very much feel like he was set in his way of how he saw a frame and he couldn't see it. He wanted to, he couldn't adapt to how this medium used multiple frames. And because there was nobody ever to like challenge his way of like perspective, he just could not make things easier on the rest of his team. Yeah. I mean, that's just really like I get it, and I I, told, I completely agree. I think he mm-hmm. just couldn't change his mindset, and I think, um, yeah, I agree. I think I think he could just couldn't change his mindset, and I'm sure he had a huge ego, so he <laughs> wasn't willing to listen to what like an entry level animator was telling him about animation. I don't think he would have listened even if they were like a pro, yeah. which John Hens very much was. Yeah. All right, um, you may continue. Okay, are you are you at peace? I'm at peace. Have we you, don't need have you... we don't need the summoning circle. I think you okay. channel enough Dolly for this. Okay, okay. He's like rolling in his grave. Who's questioning me? <laughs> we're all gonna get smited by him. Oh my gosh. Watch him watch me have like a nightmare about it. It's going uh, to happen. It's going to happen. Stop. Um, anyway, so there was an animatic made with the missing artwork, uh, again by um, Ron uh, Barbagallo, and he had like a really hard time figuring it out at first because the storyboards are usually made like here's a sheet of paper and it's like left to right and then you start again like it like snakes around to the next column. So when he was trying to put these like storyboards together, the way it went was like, here's the piece of paper, here's the next piece of paper. And it was like a long, like kind of like you're reading a book. So it just was just like an elongated, like snaked around versus like, here's a sequence in this page and then here's the next scene. Um, but he figured it out eventually. Uh, but so I did try to find it somewhere online to see like if, if, it, if it was posted somewhere, be like, okay, here's the animatic of the missing artwork. There's like pictures of it and uh, the article by Jonathan Winslow. Like there's pictures of the storyboards, but I just could not find a video of the animatic. Um, it was, and from the research I did, it apparently was only screened in July 2017 at the SAS conference in Pauda, Italy. Uh, but in case anybody's wondering, 
I don't think this affected Dali and Disney's friendship at all because there's pictures of them chilling and their family, like there's pictures of them and their families like chilling at Dali's place in Spain from like 1957. So like way after their whole like collab, like literally I think like 10 years after the whole collab, right? Yeah, I mean, they're pros, work is work. They're pros, work is work. <laughs> Maybe or they could also just pretended, be. maybe they also like pretended not like nothing happened yeah. like to themselves. Yeah. Or it could just be fake. What do you mean? Like it could be a fake image. But why? I don't know. Like a fake as in like somebody made it or fake as in like they staged it so people for like PR purposes. Both. Okay. All right. I wonder how they accomplished that because Photoshop was not around then. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I meant like modern day somebody faked it, but I guess like why would somebody today fake it? Or it could be misattributed in terms of timeline. So a time traveler came. <laughs> Take a picture. I'm kidding. You okay. know what I mean. Do I? Anyway, uh, but I don't think this project's journey is over yet because at the end of Jonathan Winslow's article, it's mentioned by Ron uh, Barbagallo, the classic uh, animation art conservatist, uh, that he struck some type of agreement uh, for reproduction rights and hopes to produce a book or documentary on the discovery. But that was back in 2015. So I don't know if it'll be happening anytime soon or what, unless he pulled out Dali and Disney and just abandoned this project and moved on with his life without telling anybody. Uh, I did go snooping on this guy uh, to see if he had, like, mentioned anything about this and, like, any of his socials or if he had a website, if he posted anything about it there. Or Vartika's favorite, a blog spot. (laughs) (laughs) And all I found was that he published an article called How Many Drawings of Male ejaculation did Salvador Dali create for his film Destino? In this peer-reviewed essay, Barbagallo says, no less than four. That was published in LinkedIn in 2019. So maybe this is a breadcrumb of what's to come. I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, LinkedIn? This yeah. is peer-reviewed? And posted on LinkedIn. How was this peer reviewed? How in 2019? Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do believe it. I just I can't believe I mean, this happened. Okay. First of all, first of all, how did it get peer reviewed? That's my question. What is the scholarly merit of this essay? Also, with it having something like that or like a title like that, like I know. I know. Maybe maybe it's just normal in the art world. <laughs> I don't think so. I've met. I think like, it is. I mean, I, I, okay, think, I think I think it is, but also there are some people who truly love the form of animation, and they're they're very proper. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say I think for like both, either you're doing literature review or art review because so much of like so much of famous work revolves around sexuality and erotica Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I'm sure there's like a ton of peer reviewed articles talking about like the sexual nature of pieces. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just think about Lolita, like that's a super famous classic novel that probably has a crap ton of peer review articles about it. And I'm sure all of them are about like the main character's perspective, which is that of a pedophilia, pedophilia. So uh, speaking of that specific literature, work literary work did you check out the podcast of it that i recommended oh i haven't not yet i will yes okay 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 you yeah. looked so mad <laughs> me yeah she, looked really she said no yeah you're like no oh, what okay i'm not even mad that's just my face <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i i mean i think this so i think it makes sense that there's a lot of peer review but i think this one is just like what is the what is the what are you gaining from knowing how many of how many male ejaculation drawings are in the destino like unproduced dolly i really wish this was like a recorded podcast (laughs) so your like hesitation to say ejaculation would have been captured listen i don't know who's listening outside my door oh okay yeah I thought I, I thought it was more like I'm uncomfortable even saying the word. No, no, no. I don't. I don't know who's around. So okay, your sister's like. Yeah, she's she's uh, peering in. <laughs> Watch her like take our history and like write about this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Check in my sister's podcast. <laughs> you talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. But anyway. I am informing everyone that that's, that's it for this episode. Like I've said, all I need to say about this on my end. <laughs> but before we go, I have the article, the LinkedIn article in another tab. And it's like the shortest thing ever. Would y'all like me to read it to you? Yes, please do. Okay. And she's like, yeah, I want to make it make sense. Yeah, I do. Okay. <clears throat> In the early 2000s, deficits from a series of expensive 2D pieces of feature animation created a rift among the power players who controlled the Walt Disney Company and its brand. So far, so good. The most tested player at the time was Roy E. Disney the very person who was responsible for assembling the team that allowed a decade of more Walt Disney feature animation to flourish. Roy saw 2D animation as the foundation of the studio he loved, the studio that bore his name and the studio that bore the last name of his uncle Walt and his father. Did Walt Disney ever have kids? No, right? Yeah, he had kids. You really? Meant, didn't yeah. you mention Roy Disney earlier or was that his nephew? That's his nephew. No, he had kids. He, well, he definitely had, had a daughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I remember my mom told me this anecdote of um, his daughter one day finding out he was Disney, and she like walked up to him very shy. I was like, "You're Disney." Like, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, "Can you sign this for me?" I don't know if that's real or not, but I remember my mom telling me that. Anyway, keep going with your article. Okay. But the executives Roy Disney put in charge became his rivals. 
rivals he could not control and rivals who after Fantasia 2000 proved to be a critical and box office failure fought with Disney about the future of the company's brand. Politics and short-sightedness in Hollywood are nothing new. In too many ways, those qualities are all, Holly are all Hollywood is. Also around this time, the Disney company was pressed by a court order to finish an old abandoned project from the 1940s. Salvador Dali's Destino, a project that was left in limbo ironically by similar circumstances. The studio's short-sightedness and unwillingness to invest more money in what seemed to be a failed direction. What to do? Lose the assets in response to a court order or finish the short? Wow. And the, and the documentary you do made it seem like Roy Disney, Roy E. Disney was like, let's look into the archives. Let's revive old stuff. Let's continue the richness of artness that the studio provides. But really, they were court ordered. I mean, yeah, Disney is definitely going to spin their own side of the story. So, For real. For yeah. real. To protect the company's position, Roy E. Disney had his executive producer assemble studio artists who were, for various reasons, were readily available in 2003. They completed a version that co-opted some of the imagery Salvador Dali made for his Disney film, Destino. Like with Fantasia 2000, this version of Destino was met with mixed results. Hollywood is a funny place. On its surface, it offers a pretty uh, product, but under the polished veneer, there is a money machine, which is hinged on carefully worded press releases and official books that are designed to glaze over any truths that don't further the brand. There are also cases where there are mistakes owned by the Peter principle, and in some, if not too many cases, where the truth falls somewhere between. But what if the biggest casualty in this destino branding battle was Salvador Dali himself? Okay, you know, I Low-key, I foreshadowed it, where I was like, even if you're a big-name artist, they don't cheat your work right. What if the film he wanted to make contained a much deeper, more textured message? Oh, okay. I see where this is going. In a message ripe for our times, Ron Borgallo, the director of the Research Library at Animation Art Conservation and Divorce to prove that is exactly the case. As a follow-up to his 2017 Society of Animation Studies keynote speech at uh, Padova University, Destino and the Fate of Assembling Plastic Truths into a Greater Whole. Barbalo offers a full analysis of his Destino animatic in a peer review essay published in the Society of Animation Studies Journal for Animation History and Theory. Barbagallo's essay and divorce to restore the truth to Dali's narrative, and by doing so, restore the sexuality to the film Salvador Dali wanted the world to see. In his essay for the Society for Animation Studies Journal for Animation History and Theory, Barbagallo further endeavors to answer this question. How many drawings of male ejaculation did Salvador Dali create for his Disney film Destino? <laughs> Barbagallo says in the peer review answer is no less than four. That's it. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. 
I thought it was going to be entirely about that, but I see he Me provided too. a lot of context. Me too, and I was like, not spicy. <laughs> hey, listen, we got to spin our own story as well, you know? Yeah, I will say in the article posted by Amy Rattel, not written by her, as I mentioned in the beginning. Uh, Barbara Gallo does talk about like the sexual themes in um, the animated short, but I just didn't think it was like important for the purposes of this episode. Yeah, because I was more focused on like the stuff behind the animation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I mean, but yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, it, it is interesting to read about uh, what the lead he he had a whole vision for this. That is very, very different from what we saw. But it but I will say um a lot of what he wanted to happen is kind of like hinted at in the film. Mm-hmm. Um no ejaculations, obviously. But a lot of like the scenes where I guess those things would have happened are like there. Gotcha. Like the like the background, not like subliminal yeah, messaging yeah, yeah. or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, so what what does the baseball mean? So the whole thing about like the baseball field was about like, you know, first base, second base, third base, home run. Oh, really? So I mean there is subliminal subliminal messaging then. I um I guess. I mean, that's like as subliminal as you can get. <laughs> I feel like that's more like reference versus like subliminal. Because you don't see them like doing stuff in the bases. Like you just see baseball players. Yeah. Yeah. Versus Dali, who like he he had a whole thing going on. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's all I have for y'all. Well, on that note we can i guess we can wrap up the episode okay all right so if you have any stories you would like for us to cover email us at artdramalama at gmail.com you can also follow us on facebook twitter instagram at artdramalama and of course you can join our patreon also at artdramalama and lastly thank you for joining us and we hope we can continue looking beyond the galleries with y'all next time what's your saying for the week uh my saying for the week is that's so third base hmm. no, I'm kidding. that's so what third base third base i was gonna say that's so ron barbogallo male ejaculation destino so i am bye, not guys. impressed bye guys <laughs> bye guys bye llamas <laughs>